Amen. Good morning, everybody. Let's talk to Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to be together. And we ask that you have mercy, uh, that you extend grace here in this place uh, for healing, for belief, Lord, for faith, that you would encourage our hearts to see you for the wondrous, amazing, incredible God that you are, that there is none that surpasses you. Lord God, there is nothing that we face, no one that we face, no, no enemy we can come against that you're not able to overcome. And so this morning, I just pray, Lord, miracles would be done, wonders would be done, and we would be given the capacity to believe in Jesus' name, we commit this service, Lord. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm so excited to be in the house, Lord. Thank you, Pastor, for such a, a warm welcome. It's awesome to be under your leadership in this section uh, as, our, as our presbyter as well as just to know there's guys that are still connected to the Spirit. We are a Pentecostal organization. We believe in Pentecost. We believe in the baptism and the Holy Spirit. And uh, I sense, I can bear witness with, with your heart that you're very free in the Holy Spirit. And I thank you for that. Uh, so wonderful. So wonderful. You are a blessed church. Amen. To have such a wonderful pastor. And uh, worship team, excellent job today. You guys did great. That was so good. Well, uh, it's a joy to be here. My name is Mikey Cheshire. And uh, I am a missionary and an evangelist with the Assemblies of God, travel all over the world, and I share about Jesus' love. My joy is to go where no one has ever been before. We take motorcycles, we backpack, we hike, and we take our food in, and we, we camp uh, in areas where Jesus has never in 2,000 years, Jesus' name has never been spoken. Folks have no idea that they can be saved. They have no clue. We hear things like, we knew there was a God, we didn't know how to reach him. We knew there was a God, we didn't know he had a son. And these folks are completely for generations separated from God. And we have the distinct privilege of walking into this space and sharing the name of Jesus for the first time. You have no idea how addicting it is to bear the name of Christ for the first time to someone. Once you have experienced it, just about everything else falls short. We've had the distinct privilege of working in more than 34 countries around the world. Uh, where we hang our hat most often is in Kenya. And uh, we love working there. We have an orphanage in Nairobi where we are housing and feeding and educating children. We have also a Bible school that we're building. The Lord has given us the funds last year to build a Bible school for training missionaries, indigenous people, to go to their neighbors. It's exciting. 
We love serving Jesus. And then here in the States, I travel and I share and I try and encourage the local church to remember that that God is still active. He's still vibrant. He's still doing wonders. Now, I'm incredibly proud of your attendance today. Thank you for coming to church. There were a lot of excuses that you could have utilized to skip. But you made the effort to come, and so what I will do in return is give you my best effort to celebrate Jesus and what he has done. Now, when I was a kid, I was uh, burned in a fire. Uh, I should introduce my wife. I apologize. This is my wife, Shireen, and my daughter, Serenity, and my son, I'm sure, is making a mark in children's church. He is my son. I was burned as a child, and uh, I was in southern Louisiana. I was seven years old, and when it happened, everything changed. Uh, The way that I perceive things, the way that I uh, interact with things just changed. You know, for instance, we travel, we preach all over the country, and we go into churches, and inevitably, somebody sings a song or somebody makes a statement, Lord, let your fire fall down. And I'm like, no, let me know, Jesus, because if that's going to happen, I'm going to move. Once was enough. (laughs) And after preaching, a lot of times we'll go out to eat, we'll spend time with uh, ministry teams. And and when we go out, a lot of times the waiter or the waitress will come by and they're they're carrying a tray. And upon that tray is a, a sizzling, beautiful piece of meat. And you're all like... Oh, that smells fantastic. And I'm like, I feel you, my brother. You know, it's just, it's just different. It's just different. Part of the work we do is is going into unreached areas. I've gone into the Congo. I worked in the Oriental province in the Democratic Republic of of Congo. And uh, that's where there's pygmies. And, And among the pygmies, there are cannibals. And we were in the middle of service, and I tell you the truth, cannibals were coming. While I'm preaching, if you ever need your pastor to finish up his sermon quickly, just get the message to him that cannibals are coming. Because it's a good motivator to get through all the fluff, no more rabbit trails. Jesus came, Jesus lived, Jesus died. Jesus rose again. You need Jesus. Everybody raise your hand. Um, Amen. Let's go. (laughs) Um, And and while we were ministering, these cannibals were coming. I finished the service. It was wonderful. There were people saved, healed, and delivered. But somebody asked me, weren't you nervous? And I said, well, no, not really. And they said, well, why not? And I said, well, as I understand it, cannibals like their meat rare. And I'm well done, yeah. Which could cause some confusion, I guess, when I stand before Jesus and he's like, well done. I might have to ask, can I go in? I mean, really, that's what I'm I'm worried about. But no, it, it changed my perspective on everything. And I should tell you how it happened. I was in my backyard 
I, I was seven years old. It was three days before Christmas in Covington, Louisiana, just down by New Orleans. And I was having a wonderful time popping fireworks. Bang! It was awesome. There was no frog or cricket that was safe. If I could catch them, I was trying to attach explosives to them. I was 100% boy. And everything was going along well until I ran out of matches. Oh, no. I looked down. I still had several fireworks left. And I said, man, I need some more fire. So I ran into the house. My mom was making cookies for a Christmas ordeal we were going to have. I say it was an ordeal because the family was coming together. I don't know how it is in your house, but we have a bunch of preachers in our house and we all gather for a holiday and all it takes is for somebody to throw a theological long bomb and it's on like Donkey Kong, okay? So the family was coming together. Mom was making cookies. I was like, Mom, I need some more matches. She says, baby, go look in my purse. So I did. <laughs> Women's purses are crazy places. I'm going to tell you right now, you got to be careful. Men folk just don't. Just don't go there because they're mysterious. You guys have this mysterious object that you carry around on its petite little straps, the size of an object that you can fit into a purse is in no way proportional to the size of the purse. It doesn't matter. You can fit anything in there, and you can put something in there, and a minute later, it's gone until you don't need it. And then it's right there on top. I rummaged around in there. I pulled out a little kid. Whoa, go home, Timmy. Your parents are worried. <laughs> you know, I rummaged around, pulled out a, a keys to a car that was sold like a decade ago. <laughs> Finally, I came up with a book of matches. Yes, I ran outside. I opened it up, and inside was one more match. I said, man, I still need more fire. And on the back porch was a gallon of gasoline. I said to myself, self, gas makes fire. And it does. So I grabbed this gallon of gasoline, and I poured the entirety of its contents into a stainless steel mixing bowl. And I lit it. Boy, the fire jumped up. I threw the fireworks in there. They didn't do anything. They got wet from the gasoline, but that fire started getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I knew I had to put it out. So the first thing I tried was to spray it with water. Does anybody know what happens when you spray a gas fire with water? I could have used your help, sir. Thanks a lot. Oh, <laughs> I had no idea it spread all over the place. I feel my spanking getting worse by the minute. You hear me? I've got to get this fire out. And I was raking my brain. How do I do it? And I remember seeing on a television program where somebody had taken a blanket and beat the fire off of something else. I said, well, that's what I need. So I ran into the house, past the kitchen, into the laundry room, okay, a blanket, blanket. There's no blanket, there's a broom. They both start with B, maybe it'll work. I grab the broom, I run outside, and I hit the bowl. And when I did, I hit it on the closest side. And it flipped up towards my face. I saw it coming. Because you notice things like that, dump trucks, fireballs headed for your cranium, they tend to draw your attention. And I gasped. 
And when I did, gas and fire shot down my throat and into my lungs. It splashed on my chest and my face and my arms, and I began to burn. I never thought to stop, drop, and roll. I just ran with everything I had, hoping somebody would notice. I lived in a neighborhood where, where everybody's house kind of was up next to everybody else's house, and we shared backyards. I figured somebody would notice a little four-foot kid with four feet of flames coming off his head, running around in a huge circle in his yard. That's not something you see every day. If you do see that every day, you need to move. I'm just saying. It's dangerous. <laughs> we lived in southern Louisiana. You can imagine old Cajun sitting on his back porch. Aye. Oh, look, there go little Mikey on fire. <laughs> you better run, boy. That fire still got the hot on you. I mean, nobody noticed. I ran into the house. I'm like, Mom. She's like, Ugh. I'm like, I know. She threw a towel on me. She suffocated the fire with her own body. She stepped back, son. We've got to get you to the hospital. She reached out, grabbed me by the arm, and pulled in my arm, stripped in her hand. She slung me off onto the ground and said, Baby, I can't touch you. Go get in the car. I ran out the front door. I was afforded two choices in vehicular transportation. There was our car. My dad was a small town pastor. And so we had an appropriate vehicle for such a station. A 1900-ish Oldsmobile land yacht boat car thing, right? One of those cars you start turning about a mile before you actually intend to turn. And then there was my mom's friend's car, which was a Mustang. And I said to myself, self, I need to get to the hospital quickly. So I jumped into the backseat of the Mustang. And much to my dismay, my mom comes and gets in the driver's side. Now, look, I'm not going to say women are bad drivers because it's not true. Number one. And number two, I don't want to get hurt. So... I'm not going to say anything like that, but I am going to say in a crisis situation, it's not necessarily the best idea to give an emotional creature the wheel. Okay? She was doing 100 miles an hour around 90 degree turns. And I'm in the back seat. I got a hand on this headrest, a hand on this headrest, sliding around on my own skin. It was slick as could be, going, Jesus, 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 Jesus. It wasn't because of the pain. It was because of her driving. I thought, this is great. I made it through a fire. I'm going to get killed in a car wreck. This is officially not my day. Friend, I've got to be honest with you. They don't make words to tell you how bad it is. My skin was splitting and cracking and coming off in ribbons. I was swelling already quickly. It was breaking apart everywhere it was. It was horrific. And I knew I was dying. I didn't know how to pray. I just remember being in Sunday school. A precious, white-haired, Pentecostal lady, brave enough to take on that children's class, said, if you're ever in trouble, call on Jesus. 
mean, I didn't have some kind of sophisticated prayer, right? I wasn't in the back seat going, oh, Lord, in this my hour of great need, do I beseech thee that in thy mercy <laughs> you might bestow upon thy servant kindness and extend grace for such a time as... That's not what I had. I have Jesus, 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 Jesus. I've got to tell you that prayer, that simplest of cries, It rose to heaven. It was entertained in the throne room of the creator of all things. And his mercy, his love, his commitment to that name above all names compelled him to answer. On the way to that hospital, backseat of a car dying seven years old I was filled with the Holy Spirit for the very first time I began to speak in tongues and there was nobody there nobody was coaching me nobody was saying hey repeat after me untie my bow tie who stole my Honda you know nobody was screaming at me nobody was yelling at me there was no setup. it was me a crisis in Christ and the Lord answered with the Comforter. Upon the arrival of the presence of the Spirit, my pain submitted to its authority and it calmed. Miracle. We got to the hospital by the grace of God. <laughs> they took me in and put me into the coldest tub of water you can imagine. It would have been okay if I had skin or clothes, but both had been recently removed in a fire, right? I was freezing. It was like three quarters ice and a quarter water. My dad had gotten the call at the church. Your son's been injured. I'd like to tell you that was a rare call. But it was not. I was active. <laughs> he came to the hospital and he passed my room. Unwilling or unable to recognize his son. I'll never forget he came back and he stood at the end of that tub I was in. And he looked down at, at his son dying in front of him and he shook his head. I wondered for the longest time what was going through his mind. What would go through your mind to look down on your dreams, your hopes dying in front of you. It became so real to me when I had my children of my own. When I, at night when they couldn't sleep and or wouldn't. <laughs> and I would hold them and I would sing to them and I would rock them and I would think and dream over them. Maybe they'll be super smart. Maybe they'll be famous somehow. Maybe they'll be great at sports. 
Maybe they'll invent important things. As long as they love Jesus, I don't care. But never once holding my children did I think maybe something terrible will happen to them. Maybe they'll be burned. Man, it goes against everything in me to wish harm on my babies. I love them so much. As a, as a matter of fact, the Lord's mercy on anyone that would come after my kids. I'll start a prison ministry. But I need to set you free this morning. I need to liberate your heart to understand the magnitude of God the Father's love. Maybe Mary and Joseph are asleep. It's been a long day, right? And here lay Jesus swaddled in this manger setting, whatever that looks like. What if God the Father came for a moment? Yeah. To pick up his son. To look at a face that somehow miraculously reminded him of himself. What would he say? My son, the conqueror of Rome. No. My, my son, the rich, rich ruler. No. My son, the most influential religious leader today. No. No, with a swell of some kind of pride in his heart and joy. He would say, my son, the sacrifice. The dream that God had for his baby was to die for us. And we find ourselves saying, God, I'm just not sure you love me. We find ourselves saying, man, I had a bad day. Do you even remember my name? Did you just stop counting my hairs? Did you quit caring about me? I believe I can speak on behalf of the Lord and say, what else does he have to do? What else? Could he do to show his intense, intense affection and love for you? Friend, there is nothing else that must be done for him to establish his love. It is, it is anchored in the stonework of history chiseled into the granite of events long past, that because he loved us, he sent his son to die for us. He was slain 
before the foundations of the earth. The scripture confesses no greater love hath one for another than that he would lay down his life for him. Jesus demonstrates the most incredible of loves while laying down his life for strangers. Not just close friends. Friend, he loves you. He values you. You are an object of his affection. You say, well, why do I suffer? Why do bad things happen? Why is there difficulty? It is because we live in this broken world. But I can tell you what it is not. It is not because he has forgotten how to love you. They couldn't handle me at that small town hospital. So they threw me in an ambulance and sent me across the causeway bridge to New Orleans. It was about an hour's journey. And a few moments into the trip, I died. I passed away. The instruments bore witness to my going. For the next 40 minutes, I was a corpse in the back of an ambulance. My dad was in the front. My mom was in the back. She had to drape her arm over. She couldn't touch me. Anywhere she touched, I came apart. There was a driver. She said, sir, my son is dead. He said, ma'am, what do you want me to do? He drove hard. We got to the hospital. They cracked open the back of that ambulance, took one look and said, he's gone. My blood had already begun to settle. They pulled me out, took me into triage. And just to go through procedure, they intubated, breached my throat, which was melted together, though they didn't know it. To start resuscitative technique. tell you the truth. The moment that that tube bypassed the obstruction in my neck, I breathed. <sighs> Impossible. It was as if God had my life on pause. Miracle. Miracle. The swelling set in in earnest. My eyes swelled shut, my nose swelled shut, my gums swelled over my teeth, my ears swelled shut, and I went into something like a conscious coma where you can think about acting, but you can't act upon thinking. And I promise this is a place of madness, and you will not mentally endure it. My ears and my nose were cooked meat. They were rotting off of my person. 
They installed a tracheotomy to enable breathing because they thought the swelling was constricting my air passage rather than knowing that my throat was melted together. At this point, there were six cases like mine in medical history, and all of them had died. There was no hope for survival. I could not commune after coming out of being dead for 40 minutes. They didn't even know what the condition of my person was at the time. There was no hope at all. It looked so bad. They couldn't give me any pain medication because my veins were collapsing from all the blood and fluid loss. They had to drill into my ankles to give me food and water. Every day, they would take my body and they would put it into bleach. And they would take steel, wool, and wire brushes and scrub my wounds to peel back all the scabs and dead skin because infection was my enemy. They would peel it away. They couldn't give me anything, not even Tylenol. My days and my nights were measured in pain because during the day there was more of pain because people were awake to hurt me. And it is in this place of a laundry list of impossibilities. In the middle of a crisis, friend, it's in this place you must find faith. I want to give you some keys this morning that I have learned from suffering. I want to give you some help. And I hope none of you would ever have to go through what I have gone through to learn what I am sharing. I pray that you learn the lesson without the experience. But these keys are, are true. And they are useful. The first key that I'm going to give you is that you must take stock of who's with you. Everybody say, who's with me? You see, when we look around, whenever someone goes into battle, whenever a country has to array itself in war against another country, this is your first question. Who's with me? It was the question that even Gideon asked. Yeah? Who's with me? Anytime you are going to face an opponent, you must take stock of who's with you. Why? Because it is in this way we gain our confidence to believe in a victory being possible. If you don't have enough with you, you don't go to war. You come up with terms of surrender. 
because it is impossible to win. It's a question that we ask. Now listen, as long as you are alive, there is going to be conflict in the realm of the spirit and in the realm of the flesh. In the realm of the flesh, we live in bodies that are broken. They are falling apart. The very most best health you can be in is the slowest rate of death you can achieve. You are on your way to dying from the moment your first breath is taken. And we live in a world that is corrupted. The disobedient acts of our forefathers, Adam, and our foremother, Eve, if that's a word, I've just made it. The disobedient acts brought upon our world a corruption that is inescapable. You live here, you will face difficulty. Spiritually, we were separated from God. Because of the acts of our forebearers. And as a result, spiritually, we are under the weight of condemnation from the moment of birth. It is the grace of God which offers rest, either physically or spiritually. He has worked hard through his son's work on the cross and his son's work at the Roman whipping post to bring to us a rest to our soul and person from this condition. So we will face conflict. It is a thing. It's going to happen. When we do, we must stop and look around and ask the question, Who's with me? Now for the child of God, we have a resounding answer. I am. I am is with me. He is here. And if I am is with me, then there is nothing, everybody say nothing. No one, everybody say no one. That can come against me who is bigger, faster, possessing more strength, skill, wisdom, or prowess than I am. He is the apex of authority. He is the top of the food chain. There is none beside him. There is none above him. There is none really remotely close beneath him. He is the culmination of all power, of all knowledge, of everything. He is, I am. When you are his, and conflict comes, and you take stock of who's with me. And you can say, I am is with me. 
then you can stand and face your trial. The first key to enduring struggle is seeing that I am is with you. Because if he is with you, then there's nothing that can come against him which would be superior. Now this became so important for us because the hospital was a nightmare. As I told you, every day they would set me into bleach and scrub my wounds without paying medication. I remember that room very well. There were other children they would bring in several tubs in a row. Those kids weren't burned as bad as I was. And they would scream and they would rage and they would fight those caregivers. All the while they're getting hit with morphine and it did nothing. I would sit in that tub and towards the end of my time there, I would take the brush from their hands and I would scrub my own wounds and I would play with them. And they went to my parents and they said, what's different? What's different about your son? These other kids, they scream at us. They curse us. They rage at us. Your son plays with us. What's different? Jesus. 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 Miracle. My parents hadn't heard from me. I was in this coma state. I couldn't communicate at all. And they said that I would mentally break, but I tell you the truth. Though my physical eyes were shut, the Lord allowed my, my spiritual eyes to open. And two angels came. And they kept me company. truth. I was coming out of the, the scrub room. One day my parents hadn't heard a word from me. They didn't even know if I was still here, you know. I grunted out at the door. My mom would meet us. I said, Mom. She said, yeah, whoa, 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 whoa. Stop the journey. What, what's up? I said, do you know why I haven't done it? She said, no, I do not know. I said, because there are angels with me. And I slipped back in and they didn't hear the words again for a while. Miracle. My nose and my ears were cooked. They knelt next to my bed, my parents, and see their prayers were all over the place. There were times they prayed, Lord, let my son live. There were times they prayed, Lord, take my son home. They knelt next to the bed and said, God, please have mercy. Please have mercy. And in front of their eyes, veins began to bore through that dead cooked meat bringing life. I began to bleed from places I could not bleed. As God literally restored 
in that moment. Miracle. Miracle. Four more times I died in the hospital. Each time as the swelling would begin to go down, they would take out the tracheotomy at my neck and I would suffocate. Four more times I passed away. Four more times. The master. Over death held in the grave. Restored my life to me. Miracles. Who's with me? My master. came close to the end of my time in the, the hospital. They determined I was going to live, which should not be. So the doctor said, Mikey, I want you to come to my office. I want to encourage you. And I could use it. It had been hard. I had felt horrible things. I'd seen horrible things. The kid in the bed next to me, his name was Tony. He was too close to a radiator when it exploded blew his chest open. I watched his insides working. He passed away. I'd watched a lot of kids die. Doctor brought me in. He said, Mike, you're never going to be normal. You're never going to fit in. You're never going to be a part. You're going to be ashamed of this probably want to stay home. Your lungs are destroyed. Half of them are gone. You'll never speak. You'll never have hair. Your scalp is too damaged. Walking from the handicapped space of a store to its front door could cost you your life. You're going to have that trach for the rest of your life. You'll probably be ashamed go out too much so you'll want to stay home and I just want you to know that's okay. This was this was this was hope for them. Friend, impossibly unbelievably I exited the hospital got in a car and went home. The very first opportunity I had, I, I went to church. I still had staples holding me together from the grafting they had to do. I don't remember what my dad preached. It was good. It was my favorite. But I remember at the end of that service making my way to the front to pray. I got down there and began to pray and people came from within the house and they laid hands on. And I felt the, you know, the boom, kind of power of God thing. I was like, ooh, I'm healed. I got up. I waddled my way back through the back door to the restroom. And I started peeling off the bandages that were holding my face together. To look in the mirror because I just knew 
this nightmare was over. I just knew he had healed me. I could pretend like this never happened. As I got the last bandages off, there was that same face that I'd left in the mirror that morning. That same nasty image. And I hung my head and I didn't understand. My parents came in behind me. They said, thank you, Jesus. I said, for what are we thanking him? He said, baby, look at your head. In a morning's time, a quarter inch of hair had punched through all that damage. Impossibly. He just did it. Miracle. I didn't want to stay home and hide. I went to public school. Every day I was punched, I was kicked, I was spit on, I was called anything you can imagine having to do with boiled, broiled, fried, sautéed, barbecued, or cooked in any way. I was utterly alone. If, 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 if our differences are measured in our epidermal situation, my epidermis is very different than everybody else's. So I was in a minutest of minorities. I had no one. I was told daily, you are ugly and we wish you would have died so we didn't have to see you. Now this was my experience all the way into high school. After a particularly hard day, I came home and I decided to do the world a favor and end my, my life, kill myself. So I took a 44 Magnum pistol, I sat at the end of my bed, I put it to my head, and I prepared to take my life. And I said, God, I'm very sorry. I'm worthless. I started to squeeze. But I tell you the truth, in that moment, God answered two words that caused me to stop short. He said, I disagree. I said, God, how can you say that? How can you say that? I have nothing. I am the definition of worthless. My voice is garbage. My face is a sideshow at a circus. I have nothing to give you. My lungs are destroyed. I have nothing. I am the definition of worthless. How can you disagree? He said, Mikey, in all of heaven, there was nothing more valuable to me than what I gave for you. In my potent power, I could not have created something more precious than my son. He said, you're not worthless to me. You're worth everything. Friend, my heart changed. I stopped allowing people to establish my value. 
And I instead adopted the fact of my father's love for me as the definition of my value. Miracle. They said I'd never be athletic. Started playing football. Started lifting weights. The Lord, in giving great mercy, extended kindness to his servant. Before I left high school, I got my bench press up to 370 pounds. I won a scholarship to play ball in college where I ultimately got my bench press up to 470. I had the opportunity to hit people really Really hard. <laughs> Jesus can heal your broken body. Miracles. I've had the opportunity to climb Kilimanjaro to its summit. I run Spartan races as a fun pastime. Because God is good. Every time it is an indictment against the enemy. And it is a validation of his power. Because none of these things are possible through man. They did everything to relieve me of this tracheotomy. Six years it held on. Six years. They tried everything you can imagine. They took part of my rib out of my side, wired that in my throat. Took part of my jaw out, put that in my throat. I don't even know where most of me is anymore. One of the things they tried was to cut out my vocal cords. They said, you're never going to speak again. I said, doctor, with or without vocal cords, I'm going to preach. They cut out my vocal cords. Two weeks later, I was making noise. I went in because this should not be. They took a long tube with a camera on the end of it, stuck it up my nose to look in my throat. I always thought that was really weird when my mouth is right here. Look, if the most efficient way to get to my throat is my nose, why don't we snort our food? I'm just saying. He took that camera and looked in my throat and shook his head and sat back. And I said, which with a tube down your throat is, doctor, what's wrong? <laughs> My mom was in attendance. He said, Miss Cheshire, can you tell me what you see in there? She said, sure. What am I supposed to see? He goes, no, just tell me what you see. She said, I see two things going like this. He said, that's what I thought you'd see. I cut those out two weeks ago. Get out of my office. He wouldn't work on me anymore. I can't blame him as a surgeon if stuff you cut out comes back that's counterproductive. Yeah? The Lord's mercies. The Lord's mercies. How many of you know when you trust God, a lot of times on the back side of something, you have more than you had on the front side? Yeah? When you trust God and you walk with Him through trouble, a lot of times on the other side of trouble, you are, you're blessed. You have more. I wonder if you can imagine having this at your disposal. 
at 12 years old. I found it to be a wonderful witnessing tool in dark alleys around midnight. Would you like to meet Jesus? Yeah, right now would be good, actually. Jesus, miracles, everything that was against me, my Lord proved to be superior to it. As the conflicts came, the I am withstood them, each and every one. There was nothing that I could bring to him that he was unable to manage on my behalf. He is responsible for all of it. My joy to stand here today in front of you and share this incredible story is made possible by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the living Christ who has enabled by His power this opportunity. That first key of, of faith is recognizing if God is for us, who can be against us? Yeah? He stands with me. The I am. That second key that I want to share with you is to recognize He has a plan for all the bad things all the difficult things, all the circumstances we face. God has a plan. You know, I can handle just about anything if I know there's a plan. I find myself a lot of times standing at the front side of difficulties, at the front side of challenges, at the front side of circumstances, and I just quietly in my own self look up to the Lord and I say, if you tell me it's going to be okay, I'll believe you. Because I know that if he's got a plan, it's going to be all right. The scripture says this. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, friend, this is such a powerful key of faith. Because what this enables you to do is in the middle of your struggle, look ahead to a moment when your struggle is going to be validated in his sacrifice. It's going to be made useful. You see, today I have this joy of standing behind the sacred table. Today I have this, this joy of standing in front of you and sharing an extraordinary story that if it wasn't for the marks on my face, the gruffness to my voice, and the obvious results of this damage, it would be almost impossible to even believe. I have the joy of knowing that I have gone around the world sharing the gospel in all these different places. The good news that though we were separated, God in His mercy drew near through His Son. I've seen personally observed near 150,000 people make a confession for Jesus. I've personally observed wonderful miracles, even prayed 
for a man dead who God raised again. I've seen tumors shrink in my hand, praying for them. I've been a happy observer of the incredible work of the Holy Spirit and the power of the living Christ. Though I am not a source in myself for any of these things, I have been present at the happenstance. And I have happily been a picture of what God is capable of doing, emboldening the faith of some who would struggle to believe. You see, at this point, I would not go back and change anything. These wounds that were once such a, a burden to bear, they are more likened to a signature now. It says Jesus was here. A reminder of what he can do. And what was painful has become precious because he had a plan. When I am in the midst of these struggles, of these difficult moments, and I look up and I say, if you tell me it's going to be okay, I'll believe you. I do it with a full heart of belief because I have seen what he is capable of. And he can create organs from nothing. That he can punch through scar tissue and give hair. That he can restore life in the midst of death. And he can bring peace. You shouldn't be in it. I have seen his power displayed and found him never to be wanting from me. He is able to do all he could ever hope or dream. That first key of faith of who's with me. Take stock of the fact that Christ is at your side. The master of all things. The one who spoke from nothing and there became something. The triune Godhead of Father, Word, and Spirit. Cooperatively bringing about all of creation. This one of such power. Being willing to stand at your side in the midst of conflict and struggle. How can your knees then quake? How can your voice quiver when one of such strength has lent himself to your cause? I am with you. And then to know that the master architect and orchestrator has a plan and a purpose. He who set the designs in order for the cosmos has a plan and a purpose for every moment of your existence. To recognize such a truth should give you a comfort 
a comfort to endure. Even though things are hard. And finally, as I close, the last key I would share is that he is faithful. I note that when we come up against struggles, it is our tendency to say, God, you have abandoned me. You have forgotten me. You've set me aside and shelved me. It's our human nature to imagine he has let us down. But I would ask, what would make any of us so special that he would be inclined to make us his first failure? What would make any of us so special that he would decide to make you his first failure? In all of time and space, In all the iterations of creation, in the history of all that is, he has not once failed. And yet we, every one of us, determined that he will begin there with us. But I can confess joyfully, he has not failed me yet. Nor will he begin now. I want you to imagine with me that you have been burned. You have had cancer. 22 inch tumor. Growing at a half inch of mass a day. As a result of your burn treatment. The promise of two weeks left to live. I want you to imagine that you've been shot at. You've had animals that have thought to eat you. Well, as humans. <laughs> that you've had malaria and sleeping sickness. I want you to imagine that you've gone through moments of utter loneliness. Feeling as if there was not another you on the planet. I want you to imagine for a moment you are in my shoes and I want you to hear what I would confess truly about my Christ. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we're being killed all day long, regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, for I'm sure, I'm convinced, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, 
nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor burns, nor cancer, nor viruses, nor financial destruction, nor the rise or fall of nations. No created thing can separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. I have tested thee not. And I have found them to be unworkable. When you signed into Jesus, you didn't sign up for a church. You didn't sign up for a membership role. You attached yourself to a relationship with the living apex. Power, kindness, of love, of mercy, of grace. One who is interested in intimacy. Being near to you are broken, to bind you up, to soothe your wounds, to walk with you through your moments of struggle, to be friends. We're not in some sterile religion with just a, a list of rules and regulations and rituals that we carry out to appease some far off God so that our crops grow taller. But we are attached to a person that wants relationship, communion, fellowship. It's ready to wade with you through the most difficult moments you will face. And be your champion then to overcome your enemies and make them his own enemies. To lend his power to overmatch your struggles that you can't possibly hope to overcome yourself. Doesn't want to be relegated and confined to a two-hour or one-hour window on Sunday morning, but wants to be there with you when you wake. Be there with you when you lay your head down at night. Be there with you throughout the moments of the day to be near. He intimately knows your struggles, your hurts, your pain. I was never abandoned. Not even for a moment. 
I bear upon my person the results of a poor decision to mix gas and fire. There are results. God did not do this to me. Nor did he cause the cancer that invaded my person. He was willing to walk through it with me. And to provide that way of best resolution for my faith in him. Hmm. Friend, there's a, there's a wealth of knowledge here if you'll take it. Now this morning, I want to pray for you. The Lord would touch you. you. He would reveal himself to you as he has shown himself to me. So be very faithful. I've got to make sure that you are his. These promises that I extend to you, they are reserved for children of his. And while he may display himself for those who are not saved, consistent provision and care is reserved for the children of the table. I don't want you unsaved. I don't want you disconnected. I want you to have a relationship with God. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, with the world becoming more dark, with things becoming more difficult, friend, you're insane. I love you. You're crazy. I have died. And I live again. Only because of my Christ. What will you do without him? I wonder. You need to be saved. There is no other route of eternal rescue. But through Christ. There is no other hope for eternal life. Except through Christ. And while he may bring comfort to you in this life. That's not the point. point is not to be separated from him and to cast into hell. He came that we would not perish, not just that we wouldn't be poor. He came that we would not perish, that we would have eternal life. If you don't know Jesus, I cannot extend these promises to you. You accept Jesus' tremendous sacrifice. Recognize him as the son of God. And believe that he was raised from the dead. Then the word of God tells me that you will be saved. That's the criteria. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth. You're here this morning and you need to be right with God. I want you to be. If you happen to be watching online and you're not right with God, now is the time.
that we're going to bow our heads together and we're going to pray together. If you're praying that God would forgive you and if you're believing in your heart for Jesus to be your Lord and you're beginning this journey today, I want you to come up to pastor after service and just let him know. If you're at home and you're doing that, I want you to write him an email or send him a text or drop him a message and just let him know that journey is beginning today because he wants to journey with you. I promise this is a good name. Today is the day of beginning if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. So we're all going to pray together and I just want you to repeat with me. Heavenly Father, thanks. Thanks for making a way for me to be saved when I could not make a way for myself. Thank you for your love. Sending your son to die for me. What a gift. I surely did not deserve it. But I'm so thankful you gave me. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for taking on the cross. A punishment for sin you never sinned. didn't deserve it at all. You actually took my place. My suffering. My penalty. As your own. So that I could be free. Please forgive me. Cover my heart with, with your blood. Wash my sins away. Make me clean. I believe you are the Son of God. And I confess that you've been raised from the dead. Victorious. Be my Lord. Holy Spirit, come into my life. Guide me so that I may be found acceptable when I stand before our Father. Amen. The word of God tells me that you are saved. You have believed and you have confessed. I would just ask you to let pastor know. If you're here this morning and you need a healing in your body, the same God that raised me from the dead, the same God that restored my flesh, the same God that has given me a voice, has touched my lungs. The same God that has done the impossible for me is able to do the impossible for you. I confess I don't know his plans. His ways are not mine. But I can confess to you something. I believe with all my heart what he's capable of. And I don't care what you bring to this altar. I have faith to meet you here and believe that he will see you set free. Stand with me across this church. 
Just come and stand here in the front. Come and stand in the front. I want to pray for you. Don't leave this place without being prayed for, please. I want you, well, I want you to have testimony. I want you to have those wonderful, wonderful, wonderful moments, the miracles to point to. Just come and stand across this front. We're going to pray for you. I love you. Thank you for your attention today. 